Welcome to the Discover Uncover podcast series. I'm Todd Slisher, the Executive Director of the Sloan Museum of Discovery and Longway Planetarium in Flint, Michigan. Our mission is to engage communities on a learning journey in history and science. Sloan Museum is the caretaker of nearly 50,000 artifacts in the Flint region's fascinating past. Curator of collections, Jeff Whitcox, and our community engagement coordinator, Jerome Threlkeld, will take you on a journey back in time using the historical artifacts from our collection as a jumping off point. We hope you come away with a deeper sense of Michigan's history and how the objects and stories of the past relate to today's culture, customs, and society. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the Discover Uncover podcast series. Hello and welcome to Discover Uncover here at Sloan Museum of Discovery at Longway Planetarium in the great city of Flint, Michigan. We are here to take you through some artifacts that are on display and actually go deeper into our archive. I am your host, Jerome Threlkeld, Community Engagement Coordinator, and we are welcomed by my great colleague, Jeff Wilcox. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks, Jerome. You know, we're really excited to be doing this podcast. We saw this as an opportunity to talk about the stories that we're telling in the gallery, but then also do a deep dive into our archive and our collection. You know, we have nearly 50,000 artifacts. Did you know that? Uh, yeah. You did know that. Okay. Yeah, from the first episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm a quick, I'm you, you a quick study. It, you got it down, okay. <laughs> But, you know, we also have a pretty extensive archive as well. And so we thought that there was a real opportunity here to do a deep dive and to show you some artifacts and some details that you're not going to see on your average museum visit. Now, I'm really looking forward to this to today's episode. We're talking about fair housing, uh, restrictive housing and all of that stuff. And it's near and dear to to my soul. And so I can't wait till we go deeper. Um, can you talk about why? why Flint is important to this topic and, you know, why are we talking about it here at the museum? Absolutely. This is a topic that to me is is one of my favorite sections of the history gallery uh, because it does have a real impact on our community even today. I mean, this really gets started uh, in the 1910s. It's really when it starts to get underway. So what happens is, you know, we have General Motors get founded in about 1908. And after that, uh, Flint just kind of explodes. From 1910 to 1920, we go from a population of 30,000 to a population of 90,000. Wow. So you can imagine a city that grows by that much in such a quick time period, infrastructure just doesn't keep up. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, we have uh, people building tent cities and shanty towns around these factories, and city leaders, factory leaders, they start to realize we got to do something about this. And so they engage in some urban planning. They start to make plans to build new neighborhoods within the city. And that's when we have the Modern Housing Corporation come about in 1919. Are you familiar with this? I am. But tell me more because the listeners are waiting. We're anticipating more. Absolutely. So this is a real estate wing of GM. It's created to um, build affordable housing for their workers. And so they build whole neighborhoods in Flint. It includes places like Civic Park, uh, Mott Park, Chevrolet Park, A lot of these houses are still here today. Mm -hmm. But there's something that's happening kind of behind the scenes in with each of these properties. So each one has what's called a land contract, which we have a copy of one here. 
And it just sort of details everything about the property as far as the boundaries, but there's also a list of restrictions. And you can see this one is really buried in here and I've got a dig a ways uh, to find it. Now this is really a discover uncover. <laughs> <laughs> so I found this while I was actually looking for something else and happened to be you stumbled upon. And you can see it's taken me a while to get to this. But um, each of these has what's called a restrictive housing covenant. And basically it says, nah, no one can live here unless they are white. And the actual uh, quote from this is, none except members of the Caucasian race shall occupy any of the lands herein described for any purposes other than as domestic servants. This happened in Flint. This is in Flint. Uh, and this particular contract was drafted in the 1920s. And you know, there it is in black and white. And it's something that we're still seeing and feeling the impact of today. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you go there. I know we have some artifacts on display behind us where we actually talk about some of the homes and, and barracks that were built for GM workers. And there were some disparities even there mm -hmm. with you know white workers lived mm -hmm. in and those that black workers lived in. Can you talk a little bit about those structures? For sure. So, I mean, one of GM's early responses was to build worker barracks, essentially, and they build segregated barracks, uh, one for white workers, one for black workers. And we actually have a photo of that here on display. And you can see a definite difference in quality uh, between where the two groups were living. This is a good plug. He just said it's on display. It's on display behind us. And we welcome you at any time to come and visit us here at Sloan Museum of Discovery here in the great city of Flint. So you can do your own exploration. But Jeff, let's go deeper. I know you have some more artifacts for us. All of these housing developments that are popping up within the city, they uh, find polite ways to say that they, uh, they have these restrictions in place. And so um, we have a development called Brookside, just off of Court Street. And the kind of things that they're saying, like, unless you know what they're talking about, you're not necessarily going to know what they're talking about, okay. if that makes sense. Uh, so it says in this advertisement, adequate restrictions to protect your home investment. And so what that's referring to is this general belief that if people of different races move together into neighborhoods, that housing values are going to decline. We also see this with um, an advertisement for Woodcroft Estates. You can see on this billboard here, restricted home sites. It's referring to that same mm -hmm. thing. And this really comes from uh, the federal government really codifies this, especially in the 1930s. Uh, we have all of these agencies that are popping up as part of the New Deal. Uh, one of those is the Federal Housing Administration. And in the late 1930s, they actually write an underwriting manual for their workers who are going around and assessing risk to lenders for different neighborhoods. And one of the things that they say is areas surrounding a location are investigated to determine whether incompatible racial and social groups are present for the purpose of making a prediction regarding the probability of the location being invaded by such groups. If a neighborhood is to retain stability, it is necessary that properties shall continue to be occupied by the same social and racial classes. A change in social or racial occupancy generally contributes to instability and a decline in values. So this is the federal government basically taking this thing that private individuals are doing in the 1910s and 1920s, and they're codifying it. Wow. It's interesting you bring up Woodcroft Estates. I remember growing up and, and going down Miller Road, and you just kind of knew not to go on that side. They used to have these gates and things of that nature. And so it was to really kind of keep people out. Um, it's interesting that we're, we're talking about this because 
if there are restricted housing covenants, I mean, where did black and brown people live in the area? Seems mm-hmm. like they were, where, where could they live? Mm-hmm. So we basically have two neighborhoods that are completely unrestricted. And one of those is the St. John neighborhood up on the north end. It's formerly around the Buick City site. And then we have uh, Floral Park or the south side neighborhood, uh, which was actually just south of uh, the museum here. That's awesome. We're sitting here. And there's a quote up top that says, I'm not going to sit up here any longer and live an equal opportunity lie. And that was a quote by somebody very famous in Flint. And I'm going to test you real quick to see how much of your Flint history you know. I know who said it. I grew up knowing this person. But who was it? So this guy was uh, Mayor Floyd McCree, and he was Flint's uh, very first black mayor. And there's a lot of really exciting events that are happening in Flint around this time period. This is the late 1960s, 1967, 68. And the city tries to pass a fair housing ordinance. And basically, this outlaws any form of housing discrimination within the city. It's going to make documents like this obsolete. And there's a lot of back and forth. Initially, the city commission declines to vote on it. They don't pass it. And that's when that famous quote, It's spoken. He threatens to resign because they're refusing to vote on this or pass it. It finally goes to a referendum before the voters, passes by 43 votes out of 40,000 cast. So it's a margin of 0.01%. Yeah. But after that point, housing discrimination is illegal. It got national attention. There was a sleep in, right? Uh, yes, there was. So, I mean, when, th- when this wasn't passed, there were a lot of protests. A unity rally came uh, to Flint that attracted 4,000 people, including the governor, uh, Governor Romney. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a fair housing sleep in on uh, the front lawn of City Hall. And I understand you have a story about that. I do. My dad actually was a part of the sleep in. Really? Uh, yeah, he was. One of the, one of the organizers grew up, um, was at the church that we grew up in, a metropolitan church. His name was Woody Ethley. He was one of the main people out speaking about it, and they rallied a lot of young people to to sleep in. And so my dad slept and did the sleep in. It was out fighting and protesting. And once fair housing passed, my dad was the first person to um, live on the block. His house was west of uh, DuPont and west of Fleming Road. And the line had been at Martin Luther King with Detroit Street. And so he went past DuPont, past Fleming Road, into the neighborhood where I grew up in. And so definitely we were the first black family on that on that street. I have all kinds of questions for you. Okay. Has he ever talked about what it was like participating in those protests? Definitely. He said it was a sense of unity they had never felt before, but also they were scared. Because they knew about, you know, dogs being sick on people in the South and they just didn't know where it was gonna go. Police was upset and um you know, there was just this animosity in the air. You know, people were very upset, but they persevered. And so that perseverance helped them to pass and push through. And so I'm honored that I'm still pushing, even in my role here as a community engagement coordinator, to make sure that these inclusive stories are being told to everyone in our community. And so everyone feels represented and know that their voice still matters. And so you have an opportunity to share and and uplift and then learn just so much. I've, just even since I've been here, I've learned so much more from these artifacts that we have to be able to build around the, the stories and the people who make such great contributions. So yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for what you do, Jeff, and utilizing these artifacts to lift stories. Yeah.
It's outstanding. I mean, that's really what it's all about. You know, it's what the role of a curator is. You're basically a storyteller. And, you know, with these artifacts, the power of them is not the item itself most of the time. It's that human connection that you can get from that artifact and also the stories that branch out from it. You know, these artifacts speak to so many stories that are so common uh, throughout Flint history from the Great Migration, you know, mm -hmm. in the 20th century where we have you know, black people from the South moving up North for high paying factory yeah, jobs. Yeah. And, you know, it's such a common story when you talk to someone that, oh, I, I moved here from Mississippi or I moved here from Alabama. I understand you even have a connection to Alabama, is it? Yeah, my, my grandfather on my mother's side, they moved up here from Huntsville, Alabama. And then my grandfather and grandmother, they came from Southern Illinois. So definitely, and it was all to, to get jobs here in the factory. And to mm -hmm. make a better life for themselves in Flint. Mm -hmm. Yep. If you have a story about fair housing and you've either lived in the neighborhood or you're restricted um, from living in a neighborhood and you have any artifacts about that um, or any stories you would love to share with us, we would love for you to contact us. And we're always trying to build more artifacts to help us tell these stories. And we have a telephone number that you can call us. Um, the telephone number is 810-237-3417. Or you can email us at podcast at sloanlongway.org. Also, if you have a burning question or you have something that you would love for us to talk about on our next episode, we would love for you to call us and uh, email us as well. And we would love to start off our next episode, maybe with some of those questions that people may have. Again, thank you, Jeff, for being with us. Do you have any closing comments to our guest today? I do. You know, with the fair housing story, with the story of housing discrimination, we don't have many artifacts in our collection that represent these stories. If if you have something related to this, as Jerome said, we'd invite you to reach out. We would love to hear from you and, and love to hear your story. One more thing before we go. We use this word artifact. And now when I came to the museum, I thought artifact was uh, dinosaur bones. <laughs> that was the only time I actually heard the word artifact. Tell us what is an artifact? Uh, so an artifact is not is not just limited to dinosaur bones. You know, uh, Sloan Museum we collect from Flint and Genesee County history. That's that's mainly what our collection focuses on. And the artifacts in our collection we use them to tell stories. So uh, the things that we like to collect are not necessarily what people generally think of. You know, we would love to collect your mom's apron if she used that while she was cooking breakfast every single morning for you while you lived on St. John Street. Ah. Uh, because then we can tell your mom's story. We can tell a story about what someone's life was like in the St. John neighborhood. And then it takes it from this sort of large-scale view of the neighborhood to a zoomed-in view of someone's individual life. And that's a lot more powerful and a lot more relatable to people. I think one of the things that I've learned as part of this job is that we're all human and we all have the same wants and needs and a lot of commonalities. And a lot of that shines through in these artifacts. Well, Jeff, thank you for celebrating our humanity. And now that you know what an artifact is and you know that we're looking for them, please contact us. Again, our phone number is 810-237-3417 or you can email us at podcast at sloanlongway.org. Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope that you will tune in next time for Discover Uncover. I mean, I know who he is. But I want to know. I want to test your gangster and see if you know. <laughs> <laughs>
I cannot say test your gangster. <laughs> you know I'm gangster. Come on. I cannot say that. <laughs>